0: Welcome to Kind World.
3: I'm Andrea Aswahe. And I'm Yasmin Ammer. The economy has taken a huge hit during the pandemic. Rising unemployment, unpaid bills, stores closing. It's particularly hurting small businesses, including some of the toughest to get off the ground, restaurants. Opening a restaurant is
2: probably the, the hardest thing that I've ever done. And actually right now, you know, in the pandemic
0: era, it kind of feels like we're opening a restaurant again. That's Irene Lee, owner and chef at Mei here in Boston. Mei started as a food truck in 2012, and now it's a brick-and-mortar restaurant selling dumplings, scallion pancake sandwiches, and other Chinese-American comfort food. But Irene says that the lifeblood of the restaurant isn't just the food they provide customers. It's also how they do it. We place a really strong value
2: on building relationships that are um, sustainable and that are fair. So as a restaurant, creating equity and justice in the food system is definitely a priority for us. And so that has to do with our vendors. It has to do with our staff. It sort of flows through everything that we do as a business.
3: That means sourcing and buying produce and meat from family-owned local farms a commitment towards sustainable and green restaurant practices like reducing food waste and using compostable materials. And she's got a program for employees that includes classes on how to operate a restaurant. Since opening, Maymay's popularity has skyrocketed. And at just 30 years old, Irene has already been nominated for six James Beard Awards. She's become an outspoken advocate for equity in the culinary world. And as coronavirus spread, she decided to take her activism up a notch. I
2: feel that Maymay is in a relatively safe position um, financially, so I feel like we have a responsibility to take advantage of that privilege and that opportunity to support our community as much as we can. What resources do we have available to us, and then how can we use those
0: to meet this much wider need that's out there? Although Maymay closed for regular food service, Irene and her staff decided to reopen for takeout. They also started to sell groceries, hard to find items like flour, yeast, and toilet paper that Irene had access to because of her relationship to farms and wholesale providers, all available as takeout. That grocery experiment opened the door to more community outreach. We
2: started piloting this program to provide donor-funded groceries to immigrant families, um, many of whom are essential workers and who might be undocumented, and basically using restaurants as well as volunteer networks to create that pipeline of supply. So we basically asked them, you know, what are the things that are hardest to find? What are the products that you eat the most of? And then we draw on a community of mutual aid volunteers to actually do the delivery And many of our own staff have volunteered for deliveries as well.
3: With the help of a local community partner, Irene and her staff have delivered nearly 50,000 pounds of food to nearly 450 households, families they're feeding week after week. But Irene and her staff haven't stopped there. They've also been working with Off Their Plate. That's a coalition of restaurants providing meals to hospital workers. And it started here in Boston, but it's spread to other cities now across the country.
2: There's something so tangible about preparing a meal for someone. And we've had, you know, different folks kind of volunteer to come help us out in the restaurant. I have dragged my spouse in um, every weekend to help portion out and package food. And, you know, even he was very moved by the experience. Um,
0: And I think we all just have to work together. Irene has also turned her attention to helping other restaurants. She and a friend started Unsung Restaurants, a campaign to raise money and increase visibility of mom-and-pop and and immigrant-owned restaurants that might be overlooked by social media campaigns and big donation drives.
2: These are the unsung heroes of our industry, and they are businesses that I think we all rely on. Um, You know, those of us who like seeking out cuisines that might be new to us, who need something to eat when we get out of work at, you know, midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And we really wanted to just hopefully remind consumers that these businesses
3: are still out there and they also need your support. The campaign has already raised $11,000, and they've distributed to 40 different restaurants. It was incredible to just
2: see the donations flow in, saying, you know, oh, I love this spot. Um, you know, I survived on on that bowl of noodles in college. Um, you know, I hope this dumpling place reopens. Um, and so, in a, in a sense, it's not just about raising money, right? It's about community building, and it's about reminding people um, just because these restaurants aren't top of mind for everyone doesn't mean that uh, they don't need help. And Irene says all of this work has been humbling. We're providing food to people who otherwise might not have anything to eat. And so there is this weight of it that is very moving and that is both joyous and painful at the same time that we can help. And yet the need is is so immense. And so for me, you know, emotionally, it's been about figuring out how to ride those waves um, and to... To be okay with only being able to do so much, but also getting up every day and saying, you know what, there's got to be something else. What else can we try? And so I think that's what keeps me going in this really challenging time.
0: Thanks so much to Chef Irene Lee of Maymay in Boston for speaking with us. If you want to find out how to help in Irene's efforts, go to WBUR.org slash Kind World. We'll have links on our website.
3: And we'll be back with more Kind World after the break.
0: Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome back to Kind World. We're talking about small businesses in this episode, how hard they've been hit, and what people are doing to help. For this story, we're taking you to the West Coast to meet one man who's been a community staple in his Los Angeles neighborhood for decades. Tony Fanaro knows what it's like to struggle. He grew up in Sicily, the oldest of three kids. His father was a farmer, but the family barely made ends meet.
1: Now I was born right after the war. Many times I almost cried when I, I used to see my mom and dad basically crying, and said, well, how are we going to feed the kids?
0: The family immigrated to the U.S. in 1963, where 16-year-old Tony found part-time jobs shining shoes, then working at a winery, whatever he could do to earn money. More than a decade later, and after graduating from junior college, Tony used his savings to open up his own restaurant in Los Angeles. He named it Palermo.
1: So I didn't know nothing about the restaurant business, believe it or not. I didn't even know how to cook. But I learned very fast.
0: Opening a restaurant was another struggle. Buying and renovating the building almost bankrupted Tony. Then, keeping it open, that was a whole other story. At 74 years old, Tony still works between 12 and 20 hours a day, six
1: days a week. It's not easy. The restaurant business, is you have no life at all. And I've been doing this for 44 years. And, uh, you know, it's hard. That's all I can tell you.
3: 44 years. It's a span of time that really cemented him in his Los Feliz neighborhood. And Tony's seen all sorts of people walk through his doors. He actually told me that actor Leonardo DiCaprio used to live near the restaurant as a kid, pre-Titanic years, of course. And Tony would occasionally invite him to grab some free food. That kind
0: of generosity isn't reserved just for A-listers like Leo. Tony's generosity is well known by his customers, like 72-year-old Joe Oliveri a retired LAPD officer who's been coming to Palermo for nearly as long as it's been open. He's just been there for us all the time. He's just that kind of guy that if we needed help with something and all we had to do is go ask him and he'd take care of it. And sometimes they didn't even have to ask. Joe remembers times Tony sent free food to first responders during crises, like major fires or accidents. So when the coronavirus pandemic hit, Tony was facing his own crisis. Ninety percent of his sales were gone.
1: So we're basically down to almost nothing. It's very hard. We cannot serve anybody inside. I had to get most of the people. I said, "Want you guys go to unemployment line because I cannot support you guys. I'm sorry." Tony
3: had to furlough twenty of his employees, and Joe worried about the remaining ten and whether Tony could keep his restaurant open.
0: You know, when you know somebody for 40 years, and he's down on his luck, and all the employees, we know them all. We know the cooks. uh, We know all the waiters and waitresses, the bartenders. We know them all, and I felt sorry for him. So I said, maybe I can do something.
3: Joe started an online fundraiser. He'd never done that before, but figured now was as good a time as any to try.
1: He didn't expect much, but then... It took
0: off like wildfire. I mean, it was unbelievable.
1: And I was very surprised. Five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand. I said maybe thirty, thirty thousand, forty thousand, fifty thousand. I said, My God, that's a lot of money. I said, Well believe it. I said we have almost a
0: thousand people that have donated. That's a lot of people.
1: A lot of people
0: who raised sixty-five thousand dollars. And for Tony, it was more than the money. It was also about the heartwarming notes donors wrote on the fundraiser's page. He has provided wonderful memories to the community. It's our turn to help.
3: Tony always gave my late mother such sweet attention. In fact,
0: her last dining out meal was naturally Palermo's. Tony has been an extraordinary
2: person and human being, not only to our family, but everyone who is in need. Homeless and hungry people know where to go when in need.
1: I really appreciate it. I did not know people like me that much. And really, now I can see that a lot of people do. When you're nice to people, people are nice back to you.
0: Tony plans to use the money to pay taxes for his business, then split the rest evenly among his current work staff.
3: As for Joe, he says he's happy he could do something during a crisis. But more than that, he hopes this inspires more local efforts to support small businesses. The very institutions that transform our cities, streets, and neighborhoods into flourishing communities. Kind World is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikis and Matt Reed do sound design. Sophie Eisenberg is our WBUR fellow. Catherine Brewer is our managing producer and editor. And Iris Adler is our executive producer. I'm reporter and producer
0: Yasmin Amar. And I'm reporter and producer Andrea Aswahi. We'll be back with a new episode of Kind World next Tuesday. But on Friday, we'll have another classic Kind World episode in your feed. An extra dose of kindness to start your weekend off right. And we still want to hear from you. If you've got a story of kindness, call 617-353-6350 and leave us a voicemail. Thanks for listening. See you next time.